it's the last Sunday of the year. Remember, we talked about this last week. It's the last Sunday of the church year, the last Sunday of the liturgical year, where we've been in this long season since Pentecost Sunday back in June. Pastor Diana preached on Pentecost Sunday in June. And all of these weeks, you've noticed, have just been the first, second, third, 20th Sunday after Pentecost. And in the church calendar, this long season is called a season after Pentecost, or some call it, this is kind of a weird name, ordinary time. Like, life has been anything but ordinary the last several months. But it's just like, basically, it's doing your Christian life through, and by ordinary, it's more of an ordered time. It's a time of growth. And that's why we've often had green up here, and even these leaves that are evoking a sense of growing things during the season after Pentecost. And so, we have, in the summer, we followed the rabbi with some of the lectionary texts from Matthew. And then this fall, we have uh, done in this, in this series called Imitators, using the epistle text of looking how we become more and more like Jesus. And so this empty frame has been here, kind of a sense of a mirror of looking in there, and it's a reflection more and more looking like Jesus. But today, the last Sunday of the year, is always known as either Christ the King or the Reign of Christ Sunday. And so we're celebrating that. You might have noticed some of the songs had more to do with this idea of, of Jesus being our King. Advent begins next Sunday, and that's the beginning of the year. So the year church year begins with Advent, waiting for the Messiah, and the year ends with Christ reigning forever. So you can see how it sounds like a squirrel, but the answer is always Jesus, right? Some of you don't know that joke. But anyway, it always it starts and it ends with Jesus. It's all about Jesus, the Son of the living God. Of centuries of anticipating him wrapped up in Advent, the birth of Christ, the life, the teachings of Christ, the death and resurrection of Christ at the season of Lent and Passover and into Easter. And then the coming of the Spirit to empower the church for living. And then these years of living with Christ and eventually where we live forever with him in his kingdom is where we head. And that's what the church year is about. It's not just so that we can get a bunch of verses to read every week, but to summarize the big story of what God is doing. So we followed the church year this uh, this last year. We've called it a year for hope uh, and a year where we see this whole sweep of, of God's story. We hear of this present reign and eternal reign in the text that Rose just read from Ephesians chapter 1. In verse 20 it says, God raised Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realm, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the one to come. And God placed all things under his feet and appointed him to be head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Christ the King filling everything. And the church playing this crucial role of being his body. And so this gives us images of Jesus as king. And when we think of Jesus as king, I don't know about you, but when I think of Jesus as king, I think very, very big, but also very, very near. Jesus in this very, very big, dramatic, sweeping vision of Christ reigning in all of creation, vast and eternal forever, Christ the King forever. But also Jesus is the one that we come to know personally, closely, intimately, as Savior and friend. So he is both big as King and little or else, well, no, near as King. He is a big King and he is close friend and guide. The vastness of God, the nearness of God. The king of the ages, the king of my heart. Reigning over all creation, reigning in our everyday. The king of Jesus. 
One of the gospel lessons for reign of Christ Sunday comes from John chapter 18. John, this is during the trials of Jesus, and this is Jesus in the presence of Pilate. Picking up verse 33, John 18 says, Pilate then went back inside the palace, summoned Jesus, and asked him, Are you the king of the Jews? Is that your own idea, Jesus asked, or did others talk to you about me? Am I a Jew, Pilate replied? It was your people and your chief priests who handed you over to me. What is it you have done? Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If it were, my servants would fight to prevent my arrest by the Jews. But now my kingdom is from another place. You are a king then, said Pilate. Jesus answered, you are right in saying that I am king. In fact, for this reason I was born And for this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Jesus here is speaking confidently of a kingdom that is not of this world. And he speaks of this kingdom, not this world. We can see it go go both ways here. He's looking to the bigness and the greatness of an eternal God who will ultimately reign over all, whose power transcends the concerns and fears of our current reality. But Jesus also speaks of nearness here. The nearness of Jesus who challenges us to let him be king of our lives right now. And the king of our life as a church right now. Drawing us deeper in and then sending us further out. Jesus the king here brings both confidence and challenge. Or let me put it this way, our point this morning. Scripture proclaims and shows that Christ is, in fact, the king. This eternal reality gives us great confidence as we live in this current reality. The eternal reality gives us confidence in living in the current imperfect reality. And it gives us the challenge to let Jesus reign as king in our individual lives and in and through our church. I'll try to unpack that in the next several minutes. (laughs) If we look at King Jesus, first of all, what kind of king What kind of king is he? Secondly, King Jesus, who brings another kind of kingdom, and they're proclaiming Jesus as our king and what that might mean. What kind of king is exactly what Pilate wants to know, and this really is Pilate's predicament here. See, Pilate was the Roman governor at the time. He was a, it was a Roman-occupied territory there, uh, the Holy Land. And he was appointed there, and it was the Roman governor, but it was a very tense situation. Uh, Israel was under Roman occupation, but the Jews were given self-rule in a lot of their areas, in particular in their religious areas. Uh, they were given just enough so that Rome felt if they give them enough, then they won't rebel against us. But it was always a threat. It was always a, a fragile balance. Rome tried to keep everybody sort of happy, like a politician would try to keep everybody happy, which usually means no one really is. They'd already dealt, Rome had already dealt with a few incidents and a few flare-ups here of zealots, and they did not one ever want a bad report to get to Caesar. They never wanted Caesar to hear, you know, Pilate's having a tough time over there in Jerusalem and Israel. It was job, and in those days, life security. You did a bad job, you just lost, didn't you lose your job, you lost your life often. And now it's Passover season. Passover is a particularly explosive time when the, the Jewish uh, expectations rose to a higher degree of wanting their king, eternal king. And so it was a tense time. High security as we see in our cities now, but of a different kind. And so in the midst of that predicament, they bring this man to Pilate, this strange man of whom strange things have been said. He doesn't look or act or sound like a king or even like a rebel. 
But the Jews insist they want him dead. They want him dead because they bring their own charge of blasphemy. He claims to be God. Now, Pilate can't do anything about their religious claims, so the Jews make up a charge of rebellion. They make up a charge of political insurrection, and they say, he claims to be king, and then they start shouting, the Jews start shouting, we have no king but Caesar, which is a lie because they're waiting for the eternal king, but they want Jesus dead, and so they make this up. We want king, no king but Caesar. In a sense, they're blackmailing Pilate. If you let him go, you are no friend of Caesar, and you know how quickly word gets back. So Pilate has a big and sensitive decision to make. And only he can do it. He has to do it all by himself. In fact, he does not even have a co-pilot to help him. I thought I'd try that one. (laughs) Some of you are listening. Good. Stick with me. All right. Um, Pilate's big question then essentially is, what kind of king are you? Are you the king of the Jews? If so, then it's just a pesky Jewish issue and I will send you away. Or is the kind of king you are a threat to Rome? Are you perhaps one these people will lift up to be king that will be a threat to Rome? All four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the very first words of Pilate to Jesus are, what kind of king are you? Pilate needs to know in order to make his decision. It's interesting that Pilate is the one in high authority and Jesus is the prisoner who must defend himself, but Pilate is the insecure, uncertain, fearful one and Jesus is the confident one here. So we see Pilate's confused predicament and at the same time we see Christ's confidence here. Jesus, in a sense, says, says, who wants to know? (laughs) Only Jesus is not as sarcastic as that might sound. He said, who wants to know? In a sense, he says, is that your own idea? Or did others talk to you about me? Your own idea would mean, you know, um, is that your own idea? Are you afraid that I'm some kind of rebel? Or did others talk to you about me? In other words, did these Jews talk to you about my being the messianic king, which they think is blasphemy, but I happen to know is truth because I'm it. (laughs) I'm him. Pilate can see that he's no rebel. But with confidence declares, I'll tell you, or he can see that he's no rebel, so he throws it back at the Jewish leaders. He says, I don't know. They brought you here. What have you done? And Jesus doesn't answer that, but with confidence declares, I'll tell you what kind of king I am. Not sure Pilate gets it, but we do. And he begins then to tell him. He is King Jesus, but now he speaks of another kind of kingdom. A kingdom that is not from this world, a kingdom that is from another place. We might say it is a bigger and better kingdom. Bigger and better. Bigger and better. Those words can be misleading sometimes, particularly here in the suburbs, right? Bigger and better. Speaking of bigger and better, is anybody missing um, Russell Cleaners? You ever notice Russell? Anybody in downtown lately? Here it is even earlier. Some of you lived in Naperville this long. The next picture. When Oswald Pharmacy was next door in a really ugly mid-century building before it moved out uh, where it is now near Trader Joe's. Here it is the other day. I stopped in town. It's gone. <laughs> they tore the whole building down to build a bigger and better something at the corner. It may not be bigger, but it'll probably be better. I'm going to take bets. I'm not a betting man. It's either going to be overpriced athletic wear or a much-needed high-end cosmetic store. We are, <laughs> we are lagging behind in downtown Naperville. 
because there's competition across the street at where Starbucks used to be. But anyway, bigger and better. Bigger and better aren't always the, the right words. Sometimes smaller is better, right, when it comes to microchips and things like that. Bigger and better. But when we speak of the bigger and better in the kingdom of God, of this other kind of kingdom that Jesus says, my kingdom is not this world, we speak of it being bigger because it is much bigger, obviously, than this little corner of the world that we know is Israel and Palestine. It's bigger because it is cosmic. It is all a creation ruled by God. It's a, it's, it's a kingdom that actually can coincide with the temporary political boundaries of human kingdoms right now. It's a kingdom that exists at the same time where Jesus is king. It's bigger that way. It's bigger because it is eternal and it's permanent. And it's better because it is conquered and it is secured by love instead of by force. It's a kingdom secured by love instead of a kingdom secured by brute power and force. In a sense, Jesus says, yes, I have a kingdom, but it's not the kind that soldiers have to fight for. It's not built, nor is it maintained by military or political might. It's a kingdom built by love. In fact, Napoleon Bonaparte, of all people, got this right. He said, I know men, and I tell you that Jesus Christ is no mere man. Between him and every other person in the world, there's no possible term of comparison. Alexander, Caesar, Charlemagne, and I founded empires, but on what did we rest the creations of our genius? Upon force. Jesus Christ founded his empire upon love, and at this hour, millions of people would die for him. A different kind of kingdom, bigger, better, and founded on the powerful love of the eternal God. A bigger, better kingdom that we might call a, a purpose-driven kingdom. You remember purpose-driven life? A lot of churches did that back in the early 2000s. We did it in Tucson about 2004, I think. Neighbor Cove did it around the same time. But God has had a purpose-driven kingdom way before and after uh, Rick Warren came up with a very successful book. Jesus was a purpose-driven man. He knew exactly why he came and what he came to do. Particularly as the gospel writer John writes about him. Jesus is very clear on why he came. John even said, this is why I wrote this, so that you will believe in the Son of Man and you will have life. So back to Jesus in this interaction with Pilate in this different kind of kingdom. Jesus says, you are a king, says Pilate. And Jesus answered, you're right in saying I'm a king. In fact, for this reason, I was born. Another translation says, I was born for this purpose, to be king. For this I came into the world to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. The purpose Jesus came for was to live into this truth. This whole plan, God's whole plan of salvation and reconciliation. All the way from creation to this eternal kingdom is God working out his purposes of, 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 of bringing together a group of people and loving them richly and deeply. Redemption and, and salvation are part of it, but it's more than that. It's God as king at the very beginning and God as king in Christ now in and through his church and Christ is king forever. Let me get that again. God as king in creation at the beginning. God in Christ now in and through the church. And Christ is king forever. All, we're all headed towards a future perfect kingdom that's bigger, better, forever. 
right now this different kind of kingdom overlaps the current reality that we are in. The political boundaries. It overlaps our current reality of unstable political climate here and abroad. World security is threatened. The crazier things get in North Korea in Iran. For those of us old enough to remember hiding under our desks as if that would save our life, fears of Cold War come up again of what we're living with. And just this week again, terrorism makes a big strike in Egypt. Some feel, why why would Muslims attack Muslims? There are such vastly different approaches to life and to practice. And one group, the terrorist group, thinking the others are heretics. Most of us feel pretty safe. The rest of the country hears about violence in Chicago, and we know it's in the more difficult neighborhoods, and yet now things are happening in other neighborhoods. We struggle with this current reality. Our economy is strong. That's the good news right now. Things are going great there. And yet there's still uncertainty about how long it will last because of this other instability in the world. And so fear and stress and low-level anxiety. Maybe you weren't feeling it until I just gave you that list, but (laughs) that's our current reality in, in, in this kingdom of the world right now. And so we have this need, this deep need of confidence in the King of Kings in our current reality. It's very, very real. But we need to be, that reminds us that the current reality is not the whole, it's not the ultimate reality. It's not the final authority. That even if we disagree vastly with what's going on in our government, in our political environment, doesn't mean that Christ isn't still the King in the midst of this. Christ is king and is working out the purposes of God and his kingdom is big. As we said at the beginning, I say it again, that scripture proclaims that Christ is the king and this eternal reality gives us great confidence as we live into this current reality. And that gives us the challenge to let Jesus reign as our king in our individual lives and also in and through the church. It's not just a personal faith, it is a corporate faith. That's the way the kingdom works. And that's why we say then thirdly here, King Jesus is our king. My king, our king. Eugene Peterson is a pastor and author, one of my favorites, and in his book called Five Smooth Stones for Pastoral Work, he makes the connection here. He says, the gospel message says, you don't, you don't live in a mechanistic world ruled by necessity. You don't live in a random world ruled by chance. You live in a world ruled by the God of Exodus and the God of Easter. He will do things in you that neither you nor your friends would have supposed possible. (laughs) He will do things in you. The Exodus did something in the life of God's people where they got set free and were given a life together. God does something in us because of Easter and the forgiveness of our sins and the gift of grace and of life and of hope. It leads us into this relationship with God in and through our King Jesus. And that is a relationship both of intimacy and maturity as well as a relationship of cooperation and mission. This, this, this relationship of intimacy and maturity is, is letting him reign as king in my life. Letting him live in, as king in my life 
with the Word as a guide, the Word of God as a guide, shaping my values, my actions, my attitudes. Letting prayer be this two-way conversation of speaking to God and praising God, but also listening to God and for the promptings of Him in this relationship we build. The, the maturity is not a maturity that necessarily comes with age. It just comes along with knowledge and experience. And sometimes it comes, often it comes with the difficult experiences of trusting God in the midst of things. And that maturity then becomes not marked by pride and success and Bible knowledge as much as it becomes marked by humility and a centeredness and a peace with Christ, even in a difficult current reality. We can see the contrast between Jesus and Pilate, this contrast of insecurity in Pilate and confidence in Jesus. Jesus is the one that's accused and likely to be killed. Yet he's the one with confidence, centered in his life in God. Maturity is a maturity marked by other-centeredness, by Christ-likeness. And so in this intimacy, then, as a come, we let him come and reign in us. That's what it means to have Jesus as Savior and Lord and King. That there's this inner confidence and peace, even when life is throwing us all kinds of stuff. And we let him reign in us. But sometimes as evangelicals, we have stopped there. We said it's this great kingdom then, but right now the kingdom is here. He's king of my heart, period. But it's not king of my heart, period. It's king of my heart, and it's king of my church. The church is not just an optional social gathering in terms of what the Bible teaches. This is where the kingdom is lived out. Yes, our personal faith and our wrestling with what it means to have Jesus be our personal king is crucial, and it starts there. But it's intended to connect us then in the work that we do together. The work of encouragement and nurture and compassion within the congregation and that which spills out as well. King is not just personal faith and walk, but it is a life together, a sense of mission that comes out of that personal and corporate life. I love this phrase that I believe President Gary Walter of the nomination has used, of deeper in Christ, further in mission. Deeper in Christ fuels further mission, and further mission drives us deeper into Christ. And that's the dynamic that we're called to with Christ as king. Moving forward with kingdom values of compassion and mercy and a biblically-based, Jesus-centered justice. Pressing into these current realities of our world. Not escaping the world, but engaging it where it is with the love of Christ. You know, we're in a process right now uh, as, a, as a church. Some of you have been part of it in our congregational meeting uh, several weeks ago and at some gatherings. We met about six people. Kathy, who is our chairman, and I met with about six people a day talking about where we are now and exploring what God is calling us to as a church. And part of the work we've done is a couple of our Board of Spiritual Life members uh, did some community research and did some demographic studies of what's going on in our, our community. Interesting things happening in Naperville. The income gap is growing in Naperville. Families that average 150000 or more, the number of those families is growing. And families that make $150,000 or less, the number of those is shrinking. And so we're getting this gap. All new construction in Naperville tends to be higher end. While, in fact, we have pockets of older apartment buildings that increasingly are becoming Section 8 apartments and the needs grow. 
And so we're just seeing this gap right here in Naperville and, and the needs that are coming here and that we as a church are encouraged as we get to address them. God has blessed us with some partnerships with friends through bridge communities at some apartments one mile, exactly one mile from here. A partnership with Scott School that kids from those apartments feed into and the needs of families there. And it just happens to be half a block from Alden Care Center. That's not a coincidence. Naperville Covenant, God is calling us there with the compassion of Christ, Christ our King. But it takes us working together, and we are. We're encouraged. We see those changes as God blesses our partnerships. I already blabbed about the partnership with Covenant Kids Congo and Congo uh, that's going on there, but the partnership's here as well. But it's a working together. I was looking around on uh, this whole theme of kingdom, and I stumbled on YouTube uh, by a song by a young Christian artist who goes by the single name Caleb. And the title of the song is The Kingdom of Me. (laughs) I'm just going to read you a little bit of it here. I drew a line, said, This is where I'm safe and I feel fine. I drew a line satisfied. I lived inside that box for quite a while unsatisfied. I think there's a problem I hadn't thought of. Who I am, who I am. Up in my castle, I sit on my throne while streets hold disaster, but no, nothing more. I'm a fool, I'm a coward. I sail my ship out to sea, look behind, and see the kingdom of me. Then there's a few verses. Up in my castle, I tear down my throne. I cast my crown to the ocean and bury my gold. I finally found that when I look past my pride, I see love comes to life. For this kingdom to be is much more than the kingdom of me. (laughs) So even as those deeply devoted to Jesus, there's the danger of making it a kingdom of me when it's a kingdom of we and it's a kingdom of God. I'm going to challenge us this morning to consider this vastness of God, this, this, this vastness and cosmic sense of God, and yet also this nearness of God, this king of the ages and king of the heart, reigning over all creation, reigning in our every day. And what it might mean for us to let him reign. For reflection, let's just look at these questions for a few moments that I've jotted down there in your outline. They're up here. What in the current reality of the world we live in has the potential to cause me concern or worry? Well, I just gave, in case you're not reading the paper or listening to news, I just gave you a bunch of them. <laughs> I get CNN alerts, alerts on, my, on my watch now, and I'm not so sure I want to anymore. <laughs> but what is it causing you particular concern or worry that you need to kind of reframe it into who you are as a child of God in the kingdom? Second question is, where am I perhaps guilty of setting up the kingdom of me and preserving and protecting what I have and who I am and where I need to open that up? And as far as an action step, how will I spend time with my king this week? And what will we talk about? If you're not in the practice of having daily devotions or time with God, I encourage you to start this week. But a week from today, you can start with a guide we'll give you. You can read a page or some scripture to just get you in touch with the one who is king. And then finally, a question that we will continue to pursue, and we are, is what will it look like for us to let Christ reign in and through our church during the coming season of Advent and Christmas and beyond?
It's a season, a good season to affirm the truth of who Christ is. It's a great season of inviting. It's, a, it's, it's an easy time to invite <laughs> and to say, come, come see what, what's going on, what we have to say. It's a time when we'll particularly be blessing our friends at Alden and letting them know that in the eyes of God, they have every bit as much value and dignity as they did when they had a vital working life and a growing family. And so we bless them with our gifts and our presence. We let Christ reign that way too. So let's be ready to let, certainly remember Christ, Jesus is the reason for the season in our heart, but also in the ways that we function as a church and as a community together. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we, we don't always address you as king, but I'm just so grateful that today on this last Sunday of the church year, we can be reminded that you are, in fact, the king of this kingdom. It was inaugurated when you first came, that made great strides at the time of your death and resurrection, and yet is eagerly waiting to be fully consummated when you come again to rule forever. But Lord, thank you for the dynamic into which you've called us right now. Right now. To be king of our lives. To address this current reality that proclaims who you are as truth and as life. We pray it in your name. Amen.